0: Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development.
1: This episode was sponsored by the PVS Studio team. It promotes static code analysis methodology in general and its PVS Studio tools in particular. Static code analyzers allow you to find bugs in source code at the development stage. This helps to reduce the price of fixing them.
0: PVS Studio performs code analysis and issues warnings on the fragments of code with a high probability of having bugs and potential vulnerabilities in them. The tool supports C, C++, C Sharp, and Java, and it can work with Visual C++, GCC, Clang compilers, and some of those used for embedded systems. The Analyzer works on Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. PVS Studio can both be used as a standalone tool and integrated with Visual Studio, IntelliJ IDEA, SonarQube, and so forth.
1: In the show notes, you can find links to the PVS Studio website and the article, Technologies Used in the PVS Studio Code Analyzer for Finding Bugs and Potential Vulnerabilities.
0: Hey, Will, what are we talking about today? I don't remember. Yeah, I, uh, I kind of forgot too. While you may rely on documentation to help you most of the time with tech-related things, there are plenty of times you need to be able to rely on your own memory. Whether it's because you're doing a process for the 100th time, you're trying to recall things from memory for a job interview, or you're answering impromptu questions, your memory is a vital asset that you need to use to your best advantage. In this episode, we're going to talk about some tricks you can use to implant things in your memory in such a way that you have a good chance of recalling them later. These skills are useful regardless of whether you do software development for a living. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, I actually got to visit my dad
1: on his birthday and surprise him. We've taken our dogs to the vet back home instead of the vets here because like here, they always want to do pathology and do all this other stuff. And it ends up being a house payment. We take the yep. dog there and it's like we can't afford it anymore. And so I take them back home and they've got like, you know, they take care of people's farm dogs, right? And so like you get an x-ray and you do all the things. And it's like 160 bucks. Whereas here, it's like, oh, yeah, they walked into the front door. That'll be $150 just because we saw them. We landed in our eyesight. So on my dad's birthday, I took my dog down, went to the vet, you know, had the dog go through a checkup and all that. And then went over and visited my dad and hung out with him over at the oil company for a while. And that was pretty good. Other than that, man, the day job is not getting me enough hours. And so I've kind of decided to move on. And, you know, there'll be more details on that here in a bit. It was initially going to be like 25 to 30 hours a week at the billing rate I was getting. And then it dropped down to, uh, I think this past week, I've billed five hours. And Hmm. that is not enough at any pay rate that I've ever been paid to make a living off of. So, yeah, I had to move on. I'll get into that more in another episode because we're recording. I don't know how many today. I don't
0: remember (laughs) as it were. So, how about you? (laughs) Well, yeah, memory is a funny thing. I went to a Roaring 20s murder mystery last night at uh, a friend from church's house. It was actually our uh, board game small group got together for sort of a Halloween party. Not really a Halloween party, but just sort of a murder mystery dress-up party. It was a lot of fun. We all dressed like we were from the 20s. I was a gangster leading the North Chicago mob. <laughs> so if you guys follow me on Twitter, I posted some pictures. There's one uh the friend who hosted her husband has a side business doing photo booth like a traveling photo booth for events and stuff, and so he set up this really cool twenty stuff, but he also got his other things out so one of my friends and I like I put on this horse head and put my hat on top of it, and there's this pigeon head he was a pilot, so he had like the pilot hat and he put that on top of the pigeon head <laughs> I mean that's appropriate, <laughs> like right. You got to
1: look at, you know, yeah. cavalry and aviation, I guess. Yeah. I <laughs> was reaching. Sorry. That was really not a good joke.
0: Well, anyway, that's now my profile picture on Facebook, too, which is kind of funny.
1: Well, uh, it's better looking than the other one, I guess.
0: Oh,
1: <laughs> take that. I don't even know what the other one was, but there. It was a picture of me and
0: Amanda. So oh, you know, okay. she listens to the podcast. So, well, she she's over there, at least her. classing
1: it up. So, you know, there's, <laughs> that probably gave it some bonus points, but, uh, yeah yeah it's always better in a picture when you cover your face.
0: <laughs> well, anyway, if you follow me on Twitter, I posted some of the pictures there. This month has been very crazy. I copy and pasted this uh from <laughs> the episode that I was writing because I wasn't sure I didn't get done with it yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been that kind of week. I was like, Wait a minute,
0: you didn't write this, yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, unlike Will, I actually write out my weekly updates because otherwise I would just keep talking for an hour about what's going on in my life. But yeah, it's been a bit crazy. I was working on my episode for uh, today, yesterday, all day long between the stuff we were doing. And uh, it's been interesting. We're recording, like Will said, several episodes on a Sunday, partly because of the things that have gone on earlier with me this month with my grandmother and then... I was out last week with helping a friend of mine set up for their wedding. And then Will has stuff going on with him too. So our schedule's been a bit erratic lately. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how I can lead into book club with this. And it's just not coming together. So I'm just going to go ahead and stop talking and uh, roll the music for book club. So the second section of the book, How to Think Like a Coder Without Even Trying, looks at problem solving. It starts off talking about the problem solving mentality and how the brain works to solve problems. It then goes into breaking down complex problems. Next, the book covers some mental exercises to practice problem solving. It then goes into logic statements and working with constraints. And finally, it gets into simplification and the need to keep logic as simple as possible for the computer. It's a really fun book, like I said last week. Looks like it would be good for a teenager, even an older child who is interested in computer science, but also, you know, a goofy adult like me could enjoy it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like a teenager is basically just an older child and you're basically just an older teenager, right? So
0: yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. this is
1: like the roast BJ episode. I'm so sorry.
0: Apparently. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, there'll be a link to that in the show notes, though. I will say some of my friends have gotten to calling me a puppy child. So puppy child. Yes, because I act like a puppy and a child a lot.
1: That must be really rough on the carpet in the house. Wow. Who's talking to us this week? We grabbed a uh, comment from RJ Corrig on our Slack channel saying, uh, Your joke about winning the lottery reminded me of my previous gig. Employees were forbidden to set up lottery pools at work because the owner was afraid they'd win big and all up and quit on him. Fortunately for him, math was on his side. Yeah, I had a former employer that had a similar ban on that. And what we did is we organized it on personal
0: email accounts. So he didn't know. (laughs) So (laughs) it's good that you're willing to play fair there. Wow. So uh, thanks for the conversation on Slack. Send us an email to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com because we've got a Complete Developer Water Bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer Water Bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com.
1: Memory is what makes us into civilized humans. Without the benefit of our own lived experience and the experience of our ancestors, we would still be running around chasing large animals for dinner. Memory is one of the main things that makes us human, right alongside our ability to speak and to reason in an abstract sense. Further, as people living in an age with a lot of helpful technology we can often lean heavily on technology to remember things for us.
0: However, as with any task that can be improved by the use of technology, our reliance on tech to remember things for us comes at a cost. It's easy to become overly dependent on technology for our memory, which can hinder us a lot if the technology is not available, becomes unreliable, or if we need to recall things quickly without having to look them up. Having the ability to quickly recall useful information off the top of your head will help your career. Not only can you more quickly make correct decisions, but you can more easily think through difficult problems while in the car, the shower, or other places where a quick Google search isn't an option. You know, though, they do make phones that you can take in the shower now. Of course they do. (laughs) (laughs) The mysterious they always comes through. Yes. The nice thing is good techniques for improving your ability to retain information are widely available, usually free and overlooked by lots of sad tech bros out there who lose all productivity when the internet is down. Tech bros. Tech bros.
1: I thought you'd enjoy reading that. That's why I put that in there.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not just tech bros, it's... Tech-sistas? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure they could use these techniques as well. Yep. <laughs> so with that said, let's uh, talk through some of them. We probably need to start
1: with a little bit of discussion about human memory. Now, we're not going to go on a deep dive on this because if you do that, you're just going to go crazy. There's so much data out there, it's not even funny. And that's if you are just looking at the um, life hacker type posts. Not even if you get into like real science, but just... At the shallow level of bro science, there's more stuff out there than you can read in a lifetime. So I guess we'll start out with the uh, storage and recall cycle to kind of go through the process of remembering. There's a lot going on under the hood here, but we're kind of just hitting it at a high level so that we can refer to these things later when they make sense without you know deep diving into the neuroscience. Because I know you've had quite a bit of study on that, and I have had some like nerdy dives into this stuff and we don't want to try
0: to go there in an hour long podcast that's just not happening we could have an entire podcast on just human memory yeah we really could yeah Uh, that would be we could just do a whole podcast yeah totally give us feedback too if you guys would like to hear that because we'll make it happen but we didn't want to do it here (laughs) no i don't mean podcast episode i mean podcast yeah Yeah.
1: Okay. Don't give us feedback on a full podcast on that because we will not remember to do it. We won't have time to do it. Yeah, there is that.
0: All right. So like, uh, let's roll on. To be able to collect memory, you have to be paying attention and be able to use your senses effectively.
1: Yeah. So that's step
0: one. And this is a step everybody forgets, right? Like,
1: you're not going to remember stuff if you're in a position where you're not going to remember it. It's noisy. You're drunk. There's 15 other things going on. You're tuning out the person making the noise that you're supposed to be listening to, those kind of things. You're swatting at various gnats that are coming up in front of your face while you're recording a podcast.
0: It was distracting me from being able to pay attention to what was going on. I mean, you know. Yeah, there you go. Encoding is the process by which your sensory input is transferred to a form that can be stored. This is roughly analogous to serialization.
1: Yeah, to put it in developer terms. Obviously, if you talk to any neuroscientist, they're going to go, what in the world is this? Just go, hey, it's that step in the process. It's a bit different than you know what that actually says. The next step is storage, and that's the process by which the encoded version of your memory is stuffed wherever it goes. And we'll get into that here in a minute. Recall is the process by which you retrieve your memories for use. that makes sense.
0: No, Now, we are simplifying this a lot. Um, Yeah. And Will wrote that. Wow, that sounded really arrogant, Uh, (laughs) y'all. Sorry. (laughs) You say that simplify things a lot or? Well, I've had a lot more in-depth training on this. And yeah, this is very, very high level, very understand the basics stuff. If you want to know more about this, there's a lot of material out there that you can deep dive into.
1: Yep. I ran into it and I noped right out of that. Yeah, because it just wasn't good for a podcast. So now we need to talk as well about the different levels of memory. And I put levels in air quotes because that is also a bit more of a fuzzy subject. And (laughs) yeah, so there's a lot more pop-sci here than any of us would like. The general concepts are correct, but things get really complicated really quickly when you look into low-level neuroscience and all the discoveries about how the brain works that are coming out every day, basically.
0: Yeah. So short-term memory is the capacity for holding but not manipulating a small amount of information for a short duration of time, uh, usually a few seconds. Short-term memory, this is the 7 plus or minus 2? Yep, which the actual
1: author said it was 4 plus or minus 3, I think on some revision or whatever. It was initially a joke, apparently. I read that today and I was like, but I was counting on that. It's not a funny joke at all. Yeah, yeah. So that's basically what that level is. The next level is working memory, and that's a cognitive system with a limited capacity for temporarily holding information available for processing. It's important for reasoning and decision making behavior. And again, these discussions, you know, kind of came up from Wikipedia, so that's where these definitions come from. The idea behind working memory is it's maybe a little bit longer term storage than. Your actual short term memory and it allows you to reason about the facts that you have collected.
0: Mm -hmm. But basically, what this does is your short term memory is you're initially told something and then you move that into your working memory to process it for storage or for dump. Right.
1: You know, in other words, somebody says it's dark outside, that's in short term memory. If you go, wait, but it's noon, why is it dark outside? That's like, it's the apocalypse. That is working memory.
0: Long-term memory is the stage of memory where knowledge is held indefinitely.
1: Yeah, and that's indefinitely in terms of it's not for a defined period of time, not forever. Mm -hmm. Because you will lose memory over time. It's also important here to discuss muscle memory, which is a bit more of a bro science type of term, but it is important for memorizing certain things. That's a form of procedural memory that involves consolidating a specific task into memory through repetition. This kind of memory is in play when you learn things like playing an instrument, speaking in a foreign language that has sounds that your language doesn't have, you know, playing sports, those kinds of things where you remember to do something, but part of that thing that you're trying to remember is actually coordinating parts of your body Mm-hmm. And so that will come up as well.
0: Yeah, like for example, here I have my guitar lessons on Saturdays, and so yesterday was Saturday. It's a little bit off for us because normally we record on Thursdays, so I have to specify that. <laughs> but um I am learning some Christmas songs. It's October now, but you know you start learning them now so that by Christmas you can play them, right? And you're sick of them by then too, sort of like all yeah. the decorations. It's a good plan. <laughs> So I learned the uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra carol of the bells. Okay. You know, with the distortion. yeah, oh With the guitar, really oh, sounds so awesome. Especially when you get the distortion on. Love it. But I mean, that's like a, what my guitar instructor calls a finger bender, because you're like, it's repetitive, but your fingers are all over the place. Yep. And uh, so I got out of my lesson and. I think I went over to Amanda's right afterwards because we were getting ready to go to that party and I was helping her. She was making some decorations while I was working on this and I was showing her what I had learned and she's like, wow, she's like, you've really improved. I'm like, I just learned it today. How could I have improved? She's like, no. She's like, I mean, when you've learned other stuff that was less complicated, you made more mistakes. She's like, I, you've made enough improvement that even I can tell.
1: <laughs> yeah. Your ability to improve is improved.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what this is talking about is as you get used to sending those signals, you don't have to think like, you know, I think of the letter G and my hand automatically goes into the position to play a G chord. Right.
1: Yeah, and that's what's referred to as muscle memory. So that's what they mean. Obviously, if you get into the science again, there's more there. Mm -hmm. And speaking of stuff that we're going to kind of skip over a little bit is neural architecture, because there's a lot of things going on there. Essentially, the neurons in your brain and the connections between them are the storage location for your memories, as far as we know. Again, there's a lot of stuff going on with that stuff as well. Nerve cells connect with each other at a specific point called a synapse, or synapse, depending on how you are the country you're from, which is where the electrochemical pulses
0: leap the gaps between cells. Yeah, this is where your neurotransmitters come into play. Right. They're what transmits, and Going a little bit deeper here, it gets really complicated into the what triggers the postsynaptic neuron because some neurotransmitters are excitatory and some are regulatory. So like sometimes they'll release some so that it doesn't get excited by other things passing by. Sometimes you'll have multiple presynaptic neurons coming into the same postsynaptic. They're sending different signals that are creating this sort of balance here it gets really complicated really fast. Yeah. Especially when you look at like
1: activation weights and you know, like, cause it's almost like the, you know, the neural network design that we have in programming is based off of that. And that's nasty enough. And this is not a digital system, (laughs) you know, like it's a biological system with all the stuff that goes on there. So stuff doesn't happen instantaneously and there's latencies and there's all kinds of other stuff going on. So We're going to really, really simplify this. But the idea here is that these connections will change continuously in response to stimuli. And the more connection is used generally, the stronger and more permanent it becomes.
0: Right. So when we're talking about long-term memory, it's not so much that you don't have that memory anymore. It's more that you don't have connections to that memory. Right. This is why like, you can smell something and it reminds you of something that you haven't thought about. Very much. Yeah. And so that, it's just, it's really fascinating to me, just how the more connections you make, this is why some of these things work, is what they're doing is they're creating multiple routes, multiple ways to connect to that same memory so that you have a stronger connection. Like It's like it says, hey, there's like five different paths to this one city. That city must be pretty important. Whereas this... Town over here only has like one road going in and out of it. It must not be very important. We're not going to put a lot of resources there. But the city with like five major interstates going through it, it's got a lot going on, y'all. Yeah. I mean, that's basically the idea. Yeah. So before we get into these tricks to improving your memory, there's some baseline that you need. We're going to go through these sort of lifestyle fixes rather quickly because they're things that you should be doing already. We just want to emphasize them now because these are things that you need to have before you start looking to improve your memory.
1: Yeah, it's like before you start talking about speeding up your bicycle, you need to make sure both wheels are on it. Yeah. So the first one, speaking of wheels falling off the bicycle, is you need to have good sleep. Lack of sleep will completely destroy your ability to remember things in general. There's also some research that says that sleeping shortly after new information comes by, that will help you with retention, including over the long term. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed this in my own studies. I study right before I go to sleep, mainly because it just knocks me out. It's not, you know, like this isn't an adaptation to try to get better studying in. It just like, hey, it knocks me out cold. So let's do that. Yeah, we would
0: do that in med school, too. Of course, we'd also break up our sleep. Like polyphasic? Yeah. Yeah. So you'd study for a bit, get a REM cycle or two, study for a bit, get a REM cycle or two. And... That way you're getting a good night's sleep, but it's broken up so that you're using that.
1: Yeah. So you're getting the value of those REM cycles close to the time when you actually need them and you're not Mm -hmm. getting surplus REM cycles at the end that are not encoding data. Right.
0: There are even some people who believe in learning
1: during sleep. Yeah, this is weird. I ran into this today. Scientists played a sound along with a pleasant smell while people were sleeping. And when the subjects woke up and they heard the sound, they started sniffing. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to learn high order abstract stuff, right? Because we would all go through calculus unconscious, more than likely, if that was the way you could pick it up. Like if, if there was a hack to get you around some of the stuff that you probably don't really enjoy, we would all be doing that. So there's a lot of bro science going on here, but it does mean that something is useful that is going on. It's just not at the level of, oh, use subliminals and you're going to you know pick up a foreign language while you're unconscious. That's not a thing.
0: Next Exercise. It's been clinically proven to improve your retention of information. This is even true for older adults.
1: Yeah, there's a 2013 study, and we've got a link for it in the show notes. It shows that over a 15-minute exercise session, participants showed an improvement in memory and cognitive processing. So just a really quick exercise session, and then going back to work, they retained more information.
0: Next, diet. Your diet impacts the rest of your health. So, if your diet is bad enough, your health will also be bad enough to make it hard to learn anything.
1: Yeah. Now, that said, there are some foods that are particularly bad for you. For instance, there is some indication that sugary drinks may contribute to a higher risk of dementia. You know, I saw some research not all that long ago that indicated that that may actually be type three diabetes, hmm. which is pretty disturbing when I think about the sheer, you know, gallons and gallons of Mountain Dew that I had as a kid. And this is really true of refined carbohydrates in general, as far as like screwing you up. It's also true of trans fats, especially the sort that are industrially produced. So like your vegetable oils that you get in the store, they can increase the risk of Alzheimer's, damage memory, contribute to cognitive decline. They're not good for you, basically is what the deal is here. Overly processed foods will do the same kind of thing because they have this crap in them. Another one that has got some interesting links is aspartame. It's been shown in a few studies to worsen performance on memory tests, but research is still ongoing there. As you guys can probably figure out, a lot of
0: alcohol doesn't help either. Right. The thing with this is... It helps podcasting. <laughs> well, moderate amounts of alcohol actually do help. Right, because
1: it like lowers inhibitions, but
0: that peak is actually pretty low, right? That's not what I'm getting at. It's not that it lowers inhibitions, it's... Wine and beer, not so much the liquors, but in very small amounts can help. Like, you know, red wine. Is it like the
1: antioxidants and some of those kind of things? Because I do know that there is like a low peak of some of that stuff where there's a zone where it actually is beneficial, but it's lower than we've had on this podcast
0: so far. It's usually like a glass a day or something of red wine. They'll suggest that. Yeah. So next is focus. For a high degree of retention, focus on what you're learning. Don't multitask by watching TV at the same time.
1: While you can learn with background noise and other stuff going on, I mean, people do it all the time. You and I both do that. It will slow you down. You'll get more efficient use of your study time if that's the only thing you're doing.
0: Yeah, if you can
1: stay focused. Right, which is always the trick. Like if you've been studying a ridiculous number of hours, I'm not sure you can retain focus without breaking focus a little bit almost. There's a lot of studies kind of backing this, and it is common sense. Mm -hmm. But do salt this idea with your own experience. Time of day matters as well. Yeah. So another thing I saw in the list was that declarative memory tasks, so like the ability to recall exact details, are better in the morning, whereas semantic memory tasks, that's the ability to tie what you're learning to what you already know, tends to be better in the afternoon. Um, So there have been a number of broad studies on this. Basically, the idea is that studying is better in the afternoons while research is better in the mornings.
0: Mm-hmm. And finally, caffeine helps to a degree. Right. A certain amount of caffeine will help you retain information so long as you don't overdo it. You don't want to be like tweaking on caffeine. Although I'm not sure either of us is really qualified to say
1: what overdoing it on caffeine is. I have a pot of coffee before lunch.
0: So when I was in med school, I would drink a pot of coffee in the morning. The equivalent of a pot of coffee. It was probably multiple pots because I wasn't the only one drinking it. But uh, have an energy drink at lunch and then go to a coffee shop to study after school.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it will help. But if you are doing the study in the afternoon thing and you lay into the coffee too heavily, it'll screw up your sleep. And that's negative. Unless you plan for it. Right. You just got to be smart about how you do it and when you do
0: it. Yeah. Which is what we did where you calculate how long the caffeine is going to affect you, and you plan your sleep cycles around that. Right. Or you calculate the LD50 of the caffeine and then just go, oh, I can get a whole nother bag of coffee. Let me just say this. This isn't from med school. This is pre-med grad school. You know those five-hour energy drinks? Yeah, those are awful. I didn't find that they helped me at all. Well, the thing is, one, they don't mean drink one every five hours. And when they say don't drink coffee with them, They mean don't drink a pot of coffee between each one. Ah, (laughs) it's good to know. I didn't sleep for three days during grad school. I was working full time and taking a full load of classes. So uh, I aced, like I got all A's that semester. The week of finals, I had two papers due and three finals, and I was working. That third day, I remember asking one of my coworkers who she and her husband live down the road from me if she would mind driving me to work because I was afraid that I would like crash on the drive home and just like fall asleep. Yeah, I did not. We went out bowling that night. I think I eventually got to sleep around three or four in the morning after being awake for three days. And that is not healthy.
1: Five hour energies are not good.
0: The reason I know about a lot of this stuff is because I've done the stupid thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea behind podcasting is we've done the stupid things so you don't have to. Yeah. So now that we've got all that baseline, let's talk through some of the strategies. The first one is chunking. So this is used a lot of times when you need to remember a sequence of simple facts. The idea is to break them into groups and then memorize the groupings. This is a really good way to overcome the limitations of short term memory because it reduces the number of things that you have to
0: remember. This is why phone numbers are broken down the way they are. Yeah.
1: Three digits and four digits in the US for local. Yeah.
0: Well, it's three, three, four, but yeah. Yeah. Two sets of three and a set of four.
1: Yeah. When I was growing up, we never really used the area code because we didn't know anybody outside
0: of it, you know, for the most part. So uh, nowadays, you got people from all over the country that maintain their cell phone numbers from where they're from. Yeah, I will tell you, it was so weird when I moved back to Nashville. I kept telling everybody the six one five area code. Yep, because I was used to not living in Nashville, and I kept getting weird looks when I'd say that. I'm like, oh right, I'm back in Nashville. I don't have to say that though. Now Nashville has two area codes, so you do have to say it. Ha! Huh. Yep, to those people that looked at me funny, you're just ahead
1: of your time. You should like gracefully stroke your hipster beard and get you some uh, IPA and you know talk about a band nobody's heard of. So when trying to chunk, take the list of items that you need to recall and break them into groups. For instance, with vocabulary words, you might take words that share a context and group those together. As you get used to chunking things, there's also a higher order improvement in your ability to chunk things, increasing the number of things that you can collect in a group and still
0: recall them. You might also do this with chord progressions in music. Instead of remembering individual notes, you remember sets of them. Combined with muscle memory, this tends to be the way a lot of musical types recall things. Yeah, because you kind of flow with it.
1: It's sort of like in martial arts, you know, you do certain strikes, and then there's a follow-up strike that you'll do, even if you don't think about it.
0: Yeah. Well, so one thing that I've been working on recently is in my chord progressions with the guitar. Is I'm really good if there's an anchor finger that stays the same between the two. Different chords.
1: But if you got to move multiple at the same time, it- well, I can
0: move multiple. It's just if there's like one finger that stays the same, that gives me an anchor point for my proprioception to find things. Gotcha. But if I've got to move like from D to an A minor or something, or D to C happens a lot, and that's tricky. You know, I have to like take all my fingers off the fretboard and put them back down. And what I tend to do is like going into that C, and this is a bad habit I'm trying to break. is I will put down my first finger and then I'll roll the other two down because once I have that first finger locked in position, I know where the other two go. I need to just putting them all down at the same time. Gotcha. Okay. So I've been
1: working on that. That's like the first musical thing that you've explained that I understood. You realize that?
0: (laughs) No, I didn't realize that, but that is sort of funny. Yeah. Yeah. But it's one of the things I've been working on. Another thing I think of with this is not so much chord progressions. In that sense, like in the individual notes of the chord, but chord progressions as in like which chords come next, I've been learning different songs. One of them is just the same chord progression throughout the entire song. So the intro, the verse, the chorus, the bridge, they all use the same chord progression. But one of the other ones I'm learning, I need to learn a slow song and a fast song to try out for the worship team at church. And so the fast song has a different progression of chords. It's basically the same four chords, but in a different order Okay, between the verse and the chorus and the bridge. And so what you do is you learn the verse. It, what's really interesting is I'll be in the sound booth at practice or like when they're practicing before worship service and they're like, oh, hey, we need to adjust this song because the other two don't take up enough time or something like that. And they're like, all right, we're going to do two choruses here and three bridges, or we're going to double the intro on this one. And it's basically, they have memorized this one chunk, or like say five chunks, you know, intro, verse, chorus, bridge. But uh, they've memorized these chunks, and then they can go, all right, we're going to do two intros, a verse, chorus, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, you know, just like they can just, Move them around and they just know which ones to play. So I'm in the process of learning that stuff too. Nice. Uh, so the next tool that you have in your toolbox is spaced
1: repetition. So when you're trying to study things for recall, it's better to study with some gaps than it is to try to cram, which is kind of what you got into talking about, you know, messing with your sleep cycles during yeah. med school. Not only will this reduce. Fatigue with the information, but you'll also need to regularly refresh information in order to keep it anyway.
0: Now, yeah, the more frequently you encounter a piece of information that you've already encoded, the less often you need to refresh it to keep it encoded. As a result, having a regular habit of refreshing information that you're not constantly using but will need is a good idea. So, going back to my musical example, I practice on a regular basis, like every day. And there are some things that I practice every day. One of them is the opening riff to Wanted, Dead or Alive, but that's because an important person in my life is a very big fan of Bon Jovi, and she likes it when I play that for her. I'll let y'all guess who that is. Another is the stuff that I'm learning for church and for being able to join the worship team. I practice those songs every single time I practice. The nice thing about that is when I come back to it, when they're playing it at church or something, I have been sitting there in the worship and just like noticed that my hands were moving. Or, for example, Slash is one of my favorite guitar players. And so I I like to play a lot of his riffs. Sweet Child of Mine is my favorite. It's one of the first ones I learned. And we were at the Guns N' Roses show where, you know, Slash and Axel were both there. It was really awesome. But when they played Sweet Child of Mine, I didn't even know I was doing this. But Amanda told me we're holding hands. She told me that I was playing the notes on her hand. Like, I didn't even realize I was doing it. But yeah, I was. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So the Leitner method for flashcards is a good example of this approach. Yeah, this is like
1: the old school way to remember things. So you get a box full of flashcards and you have several compartments and you label them numerically. Typically, you'll have five. If a flashcard is new, it goes into compartment one. So you just pick up a new thing, you make a flashcard, you put it in there. Once you have hit that material enough where you know it well, it's in compartment one, then you move it to compartment two. And The process basically repeats for each additional compartment for as many compartments as you have. You review the cards on the first compartment every single day and the cards in the second compartment every other day and so on. The idea is basically that as you internalize information, you review it less often. So it prioritizes learning new things, but it also protects you from losing the stuff that you learned a month ago. Automated versions of this approach are used in a lot of spaced repetition systems. I worked at a company that did software for this. A lot of the software I use for memorization does this. My personal goal by the end of the year is to learn the 1,000 most common words in Russian. And I'm trying to do that by the end of the year. And I think I'm probably at four to 500 right now. I practice quite a bit every single day and I'm using a spaced repetition system to make that happen.
0: Next is the Memory Palace Method. You got this from Sherlock, didn't you?
1: No, I got it from artofmemory.com. I say that because like I've done this same thing. I'm not sure where I originally got it. This is where I actually looked up the details. I'm just messing because that's a thing in the TV show Sherlock. It's a good trick. Basically what it does is it will take your memory of stuff and tie it to spatial concepts. Turns out that, you know, since human beings have a very long history of being hunter gatherers, we have very good memory in regards to spatial concepts because if you got lost, you got eaten.
0: Yeah. And as a result, if you can tie something that you are learning to a spatial concept, you can often remember it better. And this is why in the classroom, a lot of times they will, well, so this is funny. We used to do this in med school where you would try to study in the same classroom that you're taking the test. Absolutely. But to go beyond that, a bunch of us went out and bought the same chairs that the med school had, so that we were sitting in the same style chair when we were studying. It also helped us figure out how to adjust them so that you know if we had to move around in the classroom to a different seat, we could very quickly adjust it to our liking because you know you're going to be sitting in it for eight hours.
1: Yeah. So the basic way that this works, and there's a tutorial on artofmemory.com, which will be in the show notes. You start out and you pick a place that you know well, and you plan a route through that area. And you take a list of things that you want to memorize and place them mentally at the locations along the route. The idea here is to try to exaggerate the items and make them interact with the environment in your mind. Uh, The idea here is to tie these things to your existing memory of the current location. So that they stick.
0: The goofier, the better.
1: Yes. Please make it goofy. And I'll go through an example of mine here in a minute. But that helps so much. Because if it is just ridiculous, it turns out that that will stick. Yeah. And then you just kind of write the stuff down. And you walk back through the scene in your mind repeatedly until you have it.
0: Real quick, let me just say this about being goofy on this. Because this is very important to it. Yeah. That murder mystery that we went to. Amanda's character name was Mona Crawfish. I don't know who came up with the character names. But uh, anyway, we left and we were sitting hanging out afterwards, and she got a text from the friend that hosted it. She was like, Yeah, I meant to text you earlier, but I kept looking for Mona in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> because, like everybody, uh, the thing really got into their characters and really played it up and just had a blast with it. That even after the party was over with, she was thinking of Amanda as Mona. Yeah. That's <laughs> why you know you stuck the landing
1: on acting. So, yeah. I'll give you a real quick how I got to where I could count to 10 in Russian and I could remember it. So it's Ajin Dva, three, Shatili, Piat, Shast, Sim, voysom Givit, Jaset, right? So the way I did it is I thought of it as I'm going back to work in the afternoon, like after lunch, one o'clock, a gene. Again, you know, I'm back at work. Two and three are easy because it sounds like two and three in English. Chatili. well, what are you doing at four o'clock in the afternoon? You're chilling out, right? You're not really working. You're just waiting on the clock to wind down. Five o'clock comes around. What do you do? You pet your pockets, make sure you have your keys and you leave. What's the first thing you do when you go home? Chaste sounds kind of like going to the bathroom. So that's how I remember that. And I have that all the way up to 10, basically in my headspace. And so when I was learning it in the car, that's kind of how I encoded it. And when I need that, I have that whole thing and I can run through that in my head real quick and retrieve that information when I need it. Now, for the most part now, I don't need it, but that's how I approached it. The memory palace thing will help you out a lot if you can come up with a way to walk through a scenario and put the stuff you need along the path, if that makes sense.
0: So now we're going to talk about associating items with things you already know. If you've already got related information in long-term memory, it's a lot easier to tie other things to it. Yeah. An example of this that everyone can remember, the shape of Italy because it's shaped like a boot. Yep. And unless you're in that part of the world, you likely
1: don't remember the shape of Ecuador. Of course, now you're going to because it's shaped a bit like a dove flying to the right, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But people remember that because they're able to tie it to something else.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is also why we use analogies so much on the show. We've had some people say we don't have to make an analogy about everything. It's like, yeah, we could get the information across without making an analogy, but you would not remember it as well. We would not remember it as well. That's how we remember. Yeah, And so that's why we do that because it's partly selfish and to help us.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it makes it stick. And so we've learned that that, you know, it's just how that has to work. So, you know, as far as these associations, you take a mental image of something, you know, and it doesn't really have to be necessarily associated. In fact, it can be kind of stupid and you can run with it and it's completely okay. And then you mix in the thing that you're trying to learn. So there's a word in Russian, which means great. And the way I remember that is I visualize Borat holding a giant leech because he's always like, great success. Right. That's the image I have in my mind. I never forget that word because that was the mental cue that I gave myself for that. And it's so stupid that it sticks. Okay. And that's immensely stupid. And, you know, it's like, it's just weird. But that technique will help you a lot tying other things in and figuring out, okay, what's a mental image I can associate this with so that I can jump to that mental image and then figure out the rest of it. Makes sense.
0: Also, you can remember a sequence of things by remembering acronyms for each of the items in the sequence. This is also referred to as a mnemonic device. And it takes advantage of the way the human mind tends to do better at remembering certain kinds of things, such as musical jingles. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff that will stick in your
1: head for some reason, I don't know if you remember in school, like, did you have the thing where they had all the states in the union and you had that song?
0: Yeah, I never remembered the one from school. I always remember the one from Animaniacs. Hey, if it works, it works, right? <laughs> <laughs> or
1: you learn the planets in the solar system with the mnemonic for that, which I already knew it before I got exposed to that in school. Or the way that biological categorization works. Mm-hmm. You know, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. King Philip came over from Greece stoned,
0: I think is how that was taught to us. Kangaroos hop down mountains drinking chocolate milk. Wait, that's... yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's it. <laughs> that's a different one. Yeah. And I know
1: med school students use this a lot. And I figured you would probably have something you could throw out here.
0: So I'll tell you something that really throws me off. And, and I had a fun discussion in a small group at church over the summer about this because we had some medical people and some tech people in there. And that is the acronym SOAP. It is used everywhere because S-O-A-P are very common. It's very easy to create something. Again, back to that four. Yeah, it's easy to remember four words. But there's a couple places in medicine that the term soap is used. There's places in tech, multiple places that it's used. Unfortunately, Most of us can probably think of like one or two that are really big and painful. Yeah. And they were using it in this book that we were going through in the group. And it was just like, like we got to that chapter and I'm like, I'm going to have trouble with this. And we had a nurse in there and he's like, I'm going to have trouble with this. And the another nurse was like that. And then my friend that was sitting beside me, she's in tech and she's like, I'm going to have trouble with this. <laughs> yeah, because like <laughs> once, once that was-
1: acronym is occupied, it's kind of hard to switch it.
0: Yeah. So That said, though, it is really useful because it's been How long since I have actually worked in medicine? Six years since I was in med school and 10 years since I actually had a job in it. And I still remember, you know, subjective, objective assessment plan. Ah, (laughs) I, I
1: still remember the acronym I used in seventh grade to remember the path of air going to the lungs. Yeah. You know, it's
0: just like, really?
1: That's not ever useful to me right now, but
0: it works. It's a really good strategy when you need to memorize A lot of lists and processes.
1: Another useful strategy is to tie things to visual indicators. So you might actually really tie it to something visible. And if you're, for instance, learning a foreign language, I haven't done this, but I know people who have. In fact, we went to school with a guy that was trying to impress his girlfriend who spoke Spanish and he had post-it notes everywhere. Like I remember stopping by his apartment and there were post-it notes on everything in the apartment with the word for that thing in Spanish. Turned out that his intellectual prowess was not sufficient to impress the girl and that he should have just worked on sports, but it was a good attempt. The idea here, though, is twofold. It directly ties memories to physical objects and it will cause repeated
0: exposure
1: at intervals.
0: That's better than the guy we know who uh, couldn't think of romantic things to say in foreign language, so he would read the safety instructions in his car. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) <laughs> <Hey>, yeah.
1: <sighs> and he, he got away with it for a while until he found that one girl that spoke French. <laughs> she yep. was like, wait,
0: what? In case of a crash, what? Uh, it was a good thought. <laughs> What's crazy is he ended up marrying that girl. Yeah.
1: I mean, I guess if you're bold enough, you know, like if that's where you're coming from, like, <laughs> you know, like when you don't fear death, you're immortal, right? <laughs> so,
0: like, yeah, apparently. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. I don't know how that worked for him, but so this concept doesn't work very well for abstract concepts, but it does work well for physical ones.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's essentially a memory palace, except you live there. Yeah. Is roughly how that works.
0: So, next, write things out by hand instead of typing. This is interesting because in the class I'm taking, we're not allowed to have electronic devices. Yeah, and this is a computer class. When collecting new information, retention is improved by writing it out by hand instead of typing it. This is why Will and I both have handwritten notebooks for a lot of things. I carry around my creative notebook everywhere I go because it's how I keep track of things.
1: Yeah, I've tried to do
0: it in a digital format and it just, I don't have any recall of it. No, I can't make it work. I have the notepad on my phone specifically for if I'm just in a situation where I've got an idea, I want to get it down, but I don't have my notebook with me, or it's like it's somewhere where I can't access right now, or like I've set it down, I've gone out to lunch or something, and I don't have it with me. So I just put it in my phone. I'll do that then. But uh, if I'm in class, I do. Prefer to write things down. I remember in medical school, at first I tried doing the follow and take notes in the PowerPoint slides that they send you. That just didn't work that well. I started printing them off. I remember when I did that, you sent me a message on Facebook or Hangouts. I don't remember which one, but you were like, hey, where are you? I, I like expect you to be to have responded to something I posted because I was also playing on social media when I shouldn't. But you know, <laughs> that's the other problem with doing it electronically. I'll be honest with y'all. But uh, yeah, and I responded eventually with like, hey, no, I printed out the notes and I'm handwriting them because it helps me learn better.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how this works, too. I think part of it is that when you can type, it's easy to transcribe without really listening. Whereas if you're handwriting stuff, you have to generalize and you have to get the information down in another way so that you actually have it. Because yeah. you're not going to be able to transcribe what the professor says when writing by hand. I think this even holds true for situations where you're studying video courses and you're able to pause and go back and all those kind of things. There was a study a while back where half the students in a class were told to use computers to take notes, while the other half used handwritten notes. The students had similar levels of recall for the information in the class, but the students who used computers to take notes had performance problems on conceptual questions. So in other words, they were just taking the information down and they weren't
0: encoding it and understanding it as well. Yeah. Finally, teach other people to really get a deep understanding of something to the level that it's instinctive. Try teaching other people.
1: Yeah, this podcast is an example of that principle in action. We've both learned and internalized a lot of stuff from having to package information up in a form that we can consume and that other people can consume.
0: Yeah. For instance, uh, while we often come up with analogies on the fly during the show, we do remember things we've covered based on analogies we came up with when we were talking.
1: Yeah, it's just a weird process because you're creating that and that process of creation is using those same neurons and they encode the information for you. So you have it now.
0: Also, because you have to summarize and organize information when communicating with other people, you're forced to work to both organize the information and express it in an appropriate manner. This is one of the hidden benefits of conducting a lunch and learn. You'll often get a much deeper understanding of the material by teaching than you will by being one of the learners. I'm really happy you put that in there because it's sort of been one of my big pushes at a lot of things is this whole lunch and learn culture thing. I have a talk on it. Yeah, this approach also neatly and automatically forces you to engage in activities that help you retain information as discussed earlier. This was part of the reason we got into podcasting was to help me learn by teaching because Will knew the way that I learned best. If he had me teach it, I learned it better. Yeah. So when we got started, some concepts were just like, all right, Well, there are some things that he wanted to learn better as well. You can go back and listen to older episodes and just not only see our personal and emotional growth through the podcast, but also see our development. And, you know, I have become a better developer. And I think Will has said that he's become a better developer because of doing the podcast, because it's reinforcing the things that we know we should be doing. But when you're in yeah. the mix of it, you don't think about. And this the podcast has allowed us the, all right, we're telling people you got to do this. We need to do this. Yeah.
1: Plus, it helps you remember it yeah. and act appropriately based on that.
0: Well, guys, improving your memory is extremely helpful for your career. While you can often look things up as you need them, it quickly becomes inefficient. Also, there may be situations where you can't easily look up information or where doing so makes you look less competent being able to quickly commit new things to memory is critical for modern software development where things are constantly and rapidly changing. Also, because so many interview questions are based around rote memorization, it helps to have strategies for quickly memorizing new information. Well, that pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, going with the rest of this outline, don't be afraid
1: to use old school techniques to do things. The memory palace stuff, I think that goes back to like what, Cicero or something? You know, it's like, okay, people that have been dead a couple thousand years use this to remember things. And it still works today. There's no reason to skip out on this and go, oh, it's out of date. I'm not going to use it. Be completely willing to steal old techniques that still work. There's no reason not to. A lot of us are really, really overly reliant on technology. I know I am personally. And It's not really necessary, like we could have better lives if sometimes we said, hey, you know what, I'm going to do it the way that it has worked for a 1000 years, and it'll still work. I don't have to have the new app for that. I do think that that opens up a lot of possibilities for you to do things in a way that the rest of the community doesn't do them. And sometimes those things become an advantage. So that's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By For Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative
0: Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions.
1: Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to completedevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.